Hey, let's open up to Matthew chapter 5. We're in something called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in verses 13 through 17 this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 17. Uh, I'll read them for you while you're making your way there. And we'll go back over them at a snail's pace. Jesus has his disciples and he says to them, you are the salt of the earth. Uh, But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the under people's feet. Verse 14, you are the light of the world and a city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Hey, let's pray. Father, that last verse is, is key that you would receive glory and honor that you'd receive all glory and honor and that our lives would be lived in such a way that you would receive it. And so God, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds this morning to the things of your spirit. Teach us what it means to be salt and light and how to live in this world in a way that would bring you glory. Change us, God. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I don't know about you. Um, you know how I'm a doom and gloom kind of preacher sometimes. But have, have, you, have you guys looked around lately at how gloriously everything is going? Uh, <clears throat> you know, we are living in such moral darkness and decay, and I don't want to laugh at that. Um, but nothing is new under the sun. Uh, Isaiah spoke of the day he was living in when he spoke of Israel in Isaiah 520. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil who put darkness for light and light for darkness. who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. That's what was going on in his society is that people were calling good evil and evil good. There was an upside down ethic going on and Isaiah was called to call them out on it. And I'm not saying I'm an Isaiah. I'm just saying that's the state of what was going on. Well, in G- when Jesus walked the earth, what did he say of the generation that was there, both in Matthew 12, 39 and Matthew 16, 4, he said it was a wicked and adulterous generation. You know, we all look around and we have our own perspective, how things going on, but with what we really need to be dialed into is how God sees things. The one who created everything, the one who we're going to give an account to. And this is what he says. Jesus walked the earth and said, man, it's a wicked and adulterous generation. And then in Paul's day, keep fast forward in a few years, Paul warned the church in the last days, the last days being the time between the time of Christ's first coming and his second coming. So we're in the last days, but this is what Paul was experiencing. He said in second Timothy chapter three, one through five, he said, but understand this, that in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. How many of you have perilous times? And half of you would say, yes, perilous times would be upon the earth. Why? For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abuse, uh, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, uh, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure, pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Paul also sums up the degraded society that he, uh, he was a part of and he saw and witnessed and what had happened in times past. He saw that he, he talks about it. In Romans chapter one, verses 28 through 32. He says, and since they, in the example he was using there, 
Uh, Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And he describes that in the previous verses, but in the end here also, verse 29, and they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, of evil, of covetousness, of malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die, they do not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Hello? This is the world that Isaiah lived in. This is the world that Jesus lived in. This is the world that Paul lived in. This is the world we live in. And yet Paul also wrote, I would flip here. First Corinthians chapter six, verses nine through 11. Praise God. Or do you not know that the unrighteous, this first Corinthians six, nine through 11, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The point is we're all guilty. And what does he say there in verse 11? And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of God. And so, yes, this world is in absolute moral decay, but God is still at work in this world. Such were some of you. Amen. Amen. And those people, Romans one, we like to point a finger at sometimes just keep reading Romans two. you who know the law. Do you practice the same things? Listen, they're going to be the such were some of you. Amen. And that happens through the church. That happens through the witness of the church. Those who have been called out from the world, who have received the grace and, and, and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ for the wickedness we have done. And we've received such grace. And now we are called to be sent back out to there. So just for the goodness of our soul, Ephesians two, one through nine, just want to remind us of these truths as we get into this. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in what you, and once you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. That's what's happening around us. People are following their nat- their natural fallen desires, their sinful desires led by a very powerful spiritual entity who's using the world to tempt them, to pull them and all these types of things. And among them, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Verse four, underline it, knowing your heart, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why in the world would he do that? verse seven, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Just 
plucking us out of darkness because of just the goodness of his heart. Why? So that he can continue to show us his grace and mercy in the age to come. You want to know what's coming? More grace, more mercy, just beautiful for by grace, you have been saved through faith. And it is not your own doing church. It's a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one would boast. And so ever since the the fall, God has been actively calling dead people to life. Isn't that cool? Through faith in the promise before the cross, the promise in the son. Now we look back to the promise of Jesus Christ. Amen. And such were some of you, but you were washed. And we read last week in verse nine, the effects of God's grace upon us who were far off and were drawn near. We read it in the first several verses, verses uh, one through six. We see that blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who mourn over sin, who, who are humbled before God, you know, who are meek, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, um, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers. I kind of got them mixed up there. Blessed are you. You're blessed. Oh, how happy are you? This is the work that God has done in us. Isn't that amazing? And then we read, I mean, that's Christ-like character in us, built in us. God's doing in us that we have a brokenness over sin, uh, a mourning over what we've done and what's going on around us. And not only that, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. We actually want what God wants because we've been born of his spirit and his spirit is in us. We long for these things as believers and his character comes out on us and we desire to be peacemakers, bringing the gospel of peace to people and also the effects of the gospel in our relationships with one another. Amen. Amen. And we want to be pure in heart. It's not that we, we have been made pure, but we're being made pure. We're being sanctified. And on that day, we will be pure, <laughs> but we want, there's a purity of heart. There's a desire to follow after God as his light shines in our heart. We long for that. And God is bringing that to bear in our hearts. He's changing us. This is describing who a believer is a child of God in the first several verses there. And then we read in verses 11 and 12, the world's reaction to us. And he says, those who have a life who is, is, is changed by God, you're going to be persecuted. The dark doesn't like it. The world doesn't like it. The world you came out of doesn't want to accept that. And we're going to talk about why there's a progression in what Jesus is, is doing here. That those who have his life will be persecuted for righteousness sake, not for being weird or strange or, you know, eccentric and all this kind of stuff. It's just for, for having Jesus in your heart and your life and you're living it out. And just the world's going to want to stamp that out because it exposes darkness. And Jesus says, blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake, for righteousness sake, for great is your reward. And yours is the kingdom. And it is these people that Jesus is speaking to as we continue on the disciples of Jesus. Hopefully you're a disciple of Jesus. Amen. You're a verse one through 12 in process. Amen. The sons and daughters of the living God that he then takes and sends back into the world. He saved them out of, isn't that wild? He saves us to be influencers 
for Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God in the best sense of the word. And Jesus calls the disciples in verse 13 and 14. He identifies them with two things. He says, you are salt and you are light. That is your influence. You are salt and you are light. You're the salt of the earth and you're light of the world. Salt and light. This is what a follower of Jesus Christ is now that they are saved. Salt and light. And this flows out of a John 15 relationship. I am the vine. Jesus says, we're the branches. You abide in me and I abide in you. And guess what? You're going to receive life from me. And these, these characteristics are going to flow out of you. This is, this is the, by the nature of our relationship. And so because of his life and work in us, we are now influencers of Jesus upon this world. We're now salt and light by the relationship we have with him by grace. And so if you're like me and you're looking around, how many of you are not feeling like we're in Kansas anymore? Well, praise God, because this was never your Kansas. Amen. Amen. And, and, and you just want to see Jesus come back. How many of you have been praying that? Oh, Lord, just come back. Get this over with. Anyone else? Like, I'm done. Check me out. I'm let, you know, someone else can handle this. I feel you. I'm with you. I'm tired of all your problems, too. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Yeah. Right back at you, Matt. I know I'm just joking, you know, but although we long for that day to come, don't we long for that day to come? That is a heartbeat for a believer. Oh Lord Jesus come. I want to be with you. Amen. And that day will come. But that is not his immediate plan. Apparently that's not his will right now. <laughs> We're still breathing in and out. We're here, aren't we? Yes. So while we know the big picture, yet there's something that needs to be worked out in the meantime. And we don't know the day or the hour. We understand the seasons. We understand things are getting more ramped up and all that stuff. But he has you here. He has me here right now. He's not done yet. There's people and such were some of you that he has on his heart and his mind. Ones you're praying for, you're longing for the reason why you don't necessarily want the Lord to come back. Although you do, right? Yeah. He's put that day off because guess what? You're the plan. You are the plan. Wait, pastor Matt, you're the reason you're the plan. That's, that's why we pay you the big bucks. That's why you're up there. You're, you're the plan. You are the salt. You are the light. No, I mean, yes, I am with you in that. Well, I'm salt and light, but look at what Ephesians four says. Ephesians four 11. I just want to be remind the church of this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, none of those I am, but shepherds word for pastor, pastors and teachers. He gave pastors and teachers to what? Equip the who? The saints for what? For the work of the ministry. <laughs> Wait a second. He put me here to do what? He put the elders here and other teacher, pastor, leaders and things in here to do what? To equip you. 
the saints, the redeemed, the disciples of Jesus Christ for the work of the ministry. This is your call. I'm with you, by the way, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are called to this moment. You're the plan. You're the salt and light. And Jesus says, first of all, in verse 13, regarding the influence you are to have in this world, he says, first of all, you are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? As Jesus often does, he takes something that people understand around them and he uses it to make a spiritual connection. You are the salt of the earth. What does that mean? Here, Jesus wants his disciples to know that they're the salt of the earth. Now, one of the major characteristics of salt, obviously, is that it's used as a preservative. We know that, right? Uh, many of us know our meats are today are, are cured, are preserved with some form of salt. You know, sodium nitrate or nitrite, depending on if it was made in a laboratory or not, or whatever it might be. But what the, what the salt does is it kind of pulls the water content out of animal proteins, apparently, and it makes the pH balance low enough to where bacteria can't survive as well. And so it, de it, it decreases the decay process. That's kind of what it does. And so salting meat along with refrigeration is how we preserve our food for longer periods of time. I'm not saying that nitrate, someone's like, oh gosh, you are preaching heresy about nitrates and nitrites. So just, that's not the point. <laughs> the point is salt preserves. Okay. That just forget that. Yeah. You know, before there was refrigeration, how many of you, a little house on the prairie, have any of you read it like that books and you're like reading it and you're going, oh, what's the salted pork? These people are going to die. You know, they're like, oh, it's salted pork all through winter. I remember reading that like with Ruth and, and John, all that stuff. And it's like, they just have barrels of salted pork. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Well, I'm like, I, I didn't make the connection, but that's what salt does is it, it preserves in a way they, they would rub their meat with all this kind of salt to kill the bacteria on top and kind of decrease the option of, uh, or the, uh, the decay there. And so these guys at the sea of Galilee, they totally understood this because Peter and them would, they catch fish, they'd sell the fish and the ones that were left, they'd rub them down with salt and they'd be sold a little bit later. And so you have salted fish and we know pickling and all this kind of stuff we do today, preserving and so one of the major attributes of salt is its preservation. And what Jesus is partially saying to his disciples here is that by the nature of their abiding relationship with him, their connection with him, who they are with him, you are a preserving agent in a decaying world. That's pretty wild, huh? You are a preservative in a society that is otherwise fallen apart and corrupt. You're a preserving influence in this unrighteous, unholy, morally decaying, dark world that we are all a part of. I think for the first time, without a doubt, we can really see the decay kind of really, at least our generation, I think really rapidly seeing it take effect. It's all been there and there's been pockets of it. But for us, I think the first time we really have just seen, wow, just, just, just a free fall. 
I think there's a parallel there with the effect of the church upon a society and its influence of being salt in that society. If we read our Bibles, we know that this decay is inevitable. It's leading to a massive decay. We know that as we read it, but God slows the decay. He slows the total moral free fall by the preserving influence of his church, his disciples upon the world. So when the world comes out and says, yeah, let's kill babies. We say, no, no, we, we don't kill the unborn. When the world comes out and they say things like, Hey, let's put pornographic literature in our kids' schools all over the place. Um, Let's have homosexual and transsexual and all this kind of stuff. Literature. There's righteous people stand up and say, no, no, this is not acceptable. It's not, it's I'm not, we're not going with it. When your iPhone don't know what to do with that yet. Comes out with an emoji of a pregnant man. And you have professors saying that men can have babies. We say no. Now I know the world looks at us and they go, you're just a bunch of what God isn't. Yeah, that's part of it. We say no because Evil just wants to go ahead and cascade and decay and affect us all. How many of us, if we just said yes to everything in our life, what would happen? Yeah, there's something called self-control. There's entropy of our hearts. It's not going in a good direction in our bodies. And so we are a people who are different. We are a preserving influence, our society. You know, we pray for people instead of slander people. Amen. How many of us have been convicted on that? We, you know, we don't like the way a leader's going and we start talking bad behind their back and the Holy spirit goes, Mm-mm, you're my kid. That's not how we deal with things. What do we do? We pray. We can disagree over things, but we pray. We don't slander. That's not child children of God. Amen. Amen. So we learn, we, we pray. We're givers instead of takers. Amen. Not that we don't receive, but more blessed to give than it is to receive. Amen. So we see people in need. We want to help and we want to give. We want to contribute to society. We want to bless. We want to make it better. All those types of things as we are as Christians. We have compassion on people instead of condemnation. Yes. You've just mentioned, well, you were just condemning those people. It's like, no, man, these things are wrong and they're evil. And the scripture states them out. I'm not sending them to hell. Saying, no, this is not according to what God has. And by the way, but by the grace of God, go I. Amen. We just talked about, and such were some of you. You don't get saved out of sin to go celebrate it. And to institutionalize it in society. Amen. You're broken over that. You're poor in spirit, all those things. And, and, and we, we love our enemies instead of hate our enemies, right? We pray for those who despitefully use us and all these things that the Lord Jesus teaches us that he modeled for us, that he that's in his very nature. We live and speak the truth in love in a world of deception and lies. So it's who we are. We're, we're his kids. We're all growing in that. 
And we all sharpen one another in this as we gather together. That is why we gather together to be sharpened in his word, to be as kids, to pray for one another, love one another, point out the rough edges in one another in love and encourage and all those things. And so by nature of our abiding relationship with Jesus, like him, we are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. You're to have that preserving influence in what God is, the places that God's placed you in. Now there's going to be a day when that preserving influence is taken out. I believe when the rapture of the church happens, there's different questions about when you went and all that type of stuff. Listen, when we're gone, that's going to be a bad day. And the scriptures talk about it in that that's kind of what starts to snowball, the judgment of God upon the earth. As God as the world just is given over to this and it's led by someone who's given over to it. It just gets bad. And when that preserving influence, the church is gone, when it's out, when it's removed, the world unrestrained, it's going to dive headlong into that exponential darkness, into that great tribulation where God's wrath is going to be poured out. And there's a whole revelation study on that. But right now, Jesus says to his followers, you're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. Let me ask, does that describe you? Are you that preserving influence? Does that describe me? Does that describe us as a, as a fellowship of believers? Dudge yourselves to see if you're in the faith, right? Have we lost our saltiness to some degree? I, you know, these are important questions to ask important questions because what does Jesus say in verse 13? But if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? If it's no longer good for anything, said to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. There's a warning here that Jesus has. Man, don't lose that saltiness. Abide. Stay with me and you'll be useful in the kingdom. You'll be what I've called you to do. The reason why you're here, part of the reason why you're here, right? to continue to be that preserving influence upon the society around us, man, we're a blessing to this world, whether they like it or not. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Yeah. Okay. Well, all 10 of us are uh, <laughs> a, the rest of you got work to do. No, I'm just kidding. But notice in that verse, he says there, he says, uh, but if salt has lost its taste, and this also gives another indication of what Jesus is talking about. It's not only a preserving influence, which is inherent in salt in those days. It's also a taste thing. It's flavor. How many of us like know one way or another, too much salt, not enough salt, all that kind of stuff. There's a flavor aspect to it. And, and so too, we give a flavor of the kingdom of God for the world. They might not like the taste, but the taste will be true. Hopefully true salt, right? You know, through our poverty of spirit and mourning over sin and meekness and hunger and thirst for righteousness, through being a peacemaker and pure in heart and all these things through all this, we give the world a taste of what the world of what the kingdom of God is like, what our King is like. Amen. Amen. Yeah. But if we lose our taste, if we lose our saltiness, do you see what he's talking about there? If you're losing your influence, if you're becoming more decay than you are preservative, becoming more diluted and watered down. Well, then you become, you cease to become useful for what God has called us to. That's that comes through disobedience, right? 
If you love me, you'll obey me. Jesus said, he said, abide in me. I'll abide in you. Ask what you wish and I'll give it to you. Proving yourself to be a disciple. I want you to bear much fruit. This is why I've created you to be with me and to ask of me. And I want to give it to you. And I want to shine through you. Why do I want to shine for you? Because you were created for it. And in that you give glory to my father who is in heaven. It's all about the glory of God. And we cease to be salty. We cease to give glory to God. Does you see, see what I'm saying? What are we good for? Well, you get shelved. You get put on the side, you get trampled under the feet of men. Now, some people think this is a salvation issue. Some people think it's not. I don't know either or, but it's definitely a warning. Is it not? So let's take heed. Amen. We want to be a preserving influence and a positive influence. Lest we become useless. Maybe. But also, not only salt, guess what we are? You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Two influences upon environment, salt, and now light. I like what John MacArthur says on salt and light. He says, whereas salt is hidden, light is obvious. Salt works secretly while light works openly. Salt works from within while light works from without. Salt works with more the indirect influence of the gospel while light is more its direct communication. Salt works primarily through living. Light works primarily through what we uh, preach, you know, uh, I don't know what he said there, but what do we, do we preach? You know, it's like, it's more of a, of a scene type of thing. Salt's kind of behind the scenes in his, in his, in his view. And then, and then the light is, it's just, it's what it is. It shines. And so there's that private kind of aspect to our faith. And there's also the public aspect of our faith. Our, our public aspect of our faith is rooted in our closet life with Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> But we both have their place. But when you think about it, one of the effects of light is that it exposes what's in the darkness. And those who have the light of God, who are walking in his life, just as Jesus came into the darkness. So we're sent into the darkness. I've shared this before. How many of you have been in like the caves in, in Oregon and Bend? Yeah, I went there when I was a kid and they didn't have the end blocked off. And so I went all the way to the end and went into the dark part where it's blocked off and it was like stuck and go, this is not a good idea. Just wanted to see if I could do it. It was really dark in there. Is what I'm trying to say. Hey, uh, John Ruth, did we, and we went again as a family a few years back. Did we turn that? Have you turn off the lights to see how dark it was in there? It's like totally dark. Like, you know how you're, you're expecting your eyes to adjust. They don't because it's just dark. There's, there's just total darkness. And then someone in the end would start to come and, and you can kind of just see a little bit of an illumination of something. And it, and it starts to expose what you're in and what's going on in your surroundings and the way to go. And that's the nature of light. It exposes the darkness, it exposes what's going on. It also exposes a path, right? So those two aspects. So too, as we, as believers, we're spiritual lights for the world, not politicians, not political parties, not philosophies, not institutions. You are the light of the world. Hello. This is, I'm preaching to myself. Okay. 
No, I'm not saying, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm with you, right? You're the light of the world. It's not that these things aren't important, but what Jesus says about who you are in relationship to him, you are his light to the world. You're the influence that needs to happen. Why? Because he's in you. Hopefully. And so the light of the world of the Lord through us, his truth dwelling in us and living through us in love exposes darkness in others. Do we ever notice that before you came to the Lord, those living in the light exposed your darkness. And like I said, you're either like a cockroach or a moth, right? When it comes to light, you scurry away from the light or you run to it and lose your life. But that's what, that's by God's design. When you run into someone with a brokenness over sin and mourning over sin and someone who's meek and humble and hungry and thirsting after righteousness and are peacemakers and they're pure in heart and all of that, it exposes around them. Doesn't it? That's our light influence. And not only is that how we live, but it's also spoken in what we say in any given situation. It's not just a hidden faith. Church, you're the light. You're called to shine. You're not only called to be salt and influential and all these types of things, but there's actually an active ingredient. There's an active part of our faith. It shines. But not only does light expose, but it also guides. And this is the second part. David said, for example, uh, in Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In other words, the word of God was a spiritual light in his life in a dark world. Make sense? Like when he read his word, he knew about God. He knew about his character. He knew uh, what God expected of him, called him to, and he walked in that light, that spiritual light. So the word of God was like light. When Jesus was in the world in John 1, 4, John says, man, in him was life and his light was like the light uh, was, was the light of men. Jesus, when he was walking, he was spiritual light in a world. Amen. Yeah. Heavy stuff. And then God's light not only exposes, it guides in that Jesus now says to his disciples, man, you are the light of the world. Think about that. His word is a light. Jesus is a light. And then Jesus in you is a light. Isn't that cool? And if you know Jesus, if he's in your heart, guess what? You're a light. That is the nature of your new being. That is who you are by your relationship with him. You are the light of the world. Get your identity straight. Amen. Amen. You are salt. You are light. How salty are you? How much light are you? Well, that's, that's the question. Amen. Abide in me and you'll bear much fruit. Just about leaning into him. But as you know, and maybe you've experienced as you try to be salt and light, the world is totally, well, they're increasingly less so, but they, they like us being light right now. You can be light on Sunday mornings from 10 to 1130 and at your life group, but you better not bring that into work. You better not bring that into relationships. You better not bring that into schools. You better not bring that into government or to public places where the light is needed. We need light here. Amen. But it's shining, right? We hopefully we're light for one another. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to stay put. 
I know he said that first, but I mean, don't, don't go anywhere. Don't do anything. Just kind of meet together, be quiet about your faith and just hopefully they'll see it. It's a go be intentional about this. Make disciples go shine into the darkness. Be deliberate about this. This is your moment. I've made you for this. Yes. Expect persecution, but great is your reward. Rejoice when it happens. That's faith. That's God in us. Jesus says in verse 14, a city on set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do a people uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. Two examples of light shining a city on a hill and lamp on a stand in a house. Many, how many of us have driven home from tri cities and you kind of at night, right? And you're trying to cruising over and all of a sudden you see the lights of Walla Walla and, and, and Milton free water there. And you're like, ah, city, on, yeah, there is city in the Valley, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's there, you know, it can't be hidden. You see it. How many of you have seen those things from space? We're just looking at like, you can totally see the outline of, of America pretty much with all the lights. It's pretty amazing or wherever, whatever country you're looking at. So he says, man, you're like a, you're like a city on a hill. That's kind of the light you're supposed to shine to the world around you. But so too with a lamp in a house in those days when the sun went down, guess what? No lights, none of this stuff going on. It was all lamps, fires and all things like that. And he says, listen, you guys, you know, when you're in your house, you don't go and light your only source of light and then put a basket over it. Do you? Cause you're going to be stumbling around in the darkness. What do you do? You put it up high. So it illuminates the whole place. So people can see, we still do that today in some form. I know we have mood lighting and all that weird stuff. It's not, this is like a sensual bare bones. Jesus is using that idea of lighting. You use it so you can see at night, you can see in the darkness. So two with us. We're the light of a world. We're a light of the world. We're a city on a hill. We're meant to be seen to be illuminated before the world. We're a lamp in a home to give light to the inhabitants. That's who you are. Let's go. God made you to be. And what I find interesting and something I saw here, take it or leave it. Something I haven't seen before is that the reason a city on a hill is seen is because all the houses have their lamps lit. What makes the city? The people forget about our modern technology. Imagine that day and time when you only had the lights. what made a city on a hill glow. It's all the houses with their lights on, with their lamps lit. What happens when 50% of us have lights under our basket? or 75 or 85 or 95. You know, I mean, think of it. God has said, you are the light of the world, but that you, I I have to believe I'd have to check it out in the Greek. I didn't, I was lazy. It should be y'all probably. That's probably what it is. Y'all are the light of the world. We often think so individually here in America, you know, give me my day, the daily bread, forgive me my sins. Is that what it says? Forgive us. There's always an us. 
in the Lord. There is a you who says you're the light of the world individually, you, and maybe he's just giving you a little house, a little square footage. You shine your light where God's giving you your light. You don't worry about the big picture. That's God's deal. And may we love one another in this situation to where we encourage one another to shine and to be salt and, and your light is on and your light is on. And, and we collectively are shining as a light. God said to Paul, and he says to us elders shepherd, the flock that is among you, not the ship, not the flock that's down the street. That's among you. May we shine. May you shine that our church would shine that his church would shine. Amen. Amen. That the world would see, you know, I've, I live in San Diego. I've lived in San Diego before I moved up here and we get to fly down. Sometimes we fly out at night. We're over the ocean and then we start coming over the coast and it's concrete jungle all the way from Los Angeles down to San Diego. Maybe it'd be a concrete jungle at night to the world. I know that's like, that's a bad analogy, but <laughs> bright and thick and just shining where it's just, you can't help but see the light because people are walking in love with Jesus Christ. They love him, And he's doing a work. He says there in verse 16, the same way, the same way as the city is on the hill, same way as the light in the house, let your, shine, your, your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven. Our light isn't to be hidden. It's a public faith. I'm going to stop there because I've got some verses, but I think the Lord said what he's wanted to say. Amen. Shine this week. Perhaps you're at the place where you're like, man, I am not salty. I'm more on the decay side of things. And I was reading that verse and it says that, man, what am I good for? And some of you might be going, man, I'm just like, I feel like I'm probably that person who just needs to be thrown under the foot of men. Well, what's impossible with men is possible with God. How can salt become salty again? Maybe your light is just a, Barely even moving. What does it say about the Lord about a flickering wick? He will not put out. May he blow it back into a flame. How do you, how do you muster this up? How do you, how do you just salt yourself? How do you, how do you just, <laughs> I'm not going to be a Christian. Let's look under Jesus church. You just love him today. Look at him today. Listen to him today. Follow him today. Let his spirit work in you today, right now. Can't worry about the big picture. Just this moment. Give your heart to the Lord. Say, take over God. I've got these looming things. And then let others in. Let light into your life. First John 1, 3. Oh gosh, I'm just... Let me click there. This is the message verse uh, first John one, one five. It says, this is the message we've heard from him proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness 
at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Well, how does that happen? And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. It says, if we have no, say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's that light aspect. Like, listen, as we walk in the light, we're going to be with one another in fellowship and we're going to shine into one another's life. And we're going to speak into one another's life. And we're going to love into one another's life. And we're going to love all the more better and represent them. Amen. So church, just, uh, you are, you're precious. You're the plan. You are the plan. And he's the light. He's the salt in you. Amen. Yeah. Father, may you be glorified as we love and obey your son. And so God, there is a world around us that is decaying, but I pray we wouldn't retreat into our false sense of comfort, but we would rise up in faith for the moment that you've placed us here to be salt, to be light. And may you fill us with your spirit of boldness Lord, your word says that if we're ashamed in front of these people, you'll be ashamed of us in front of your father and the holy angels. And so, Lord, that's not us. Take away our shame. Give us boldness, Lord. Help us to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Sheep among wolves. We trust you, Lord. And may there be many, many more. Such were some of you's. Oh, Lord, thank you for the cross. Thank you for your spirit. Draw people to yourself. And Lord, graciously use us in that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. God bless you, church. Salt and light. Amen. Uh, Salt and light, by the way, is out the door and anywhere you go. So just wanted you to enjoy that this week.